With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. To another edition of Buckets on today's show, we'll recap all the news regarding the Wisconsin Badgers and the NFL draft. Talk about each player's new home, how we think they fit, etc. Uh, the NFL draft was a really exciting weekend, so I'm excited to talk about uh, all the future Badgers and their destinations. After that, we have a very special interview. We hinted at it last week with Alondo Tucker. Uh, he came on to talk about his uh, fan favorite championship run that he made, and then he came on and, and talked about his, his favorite playing memories, the current coaching staff, and the team from this past season, and a bunch of other topics. Uh, it was a great interview that we recorded last week, and we uh, saved for this episode. So plenty of stuff to get to, both on the football and basketball side. I think you guys will enjoy the interview a lot. But first, Matt, how are you doing today? Doing great. It's it's been nice to actually have some college football slash NFL news percolating um, after the draft and kind of watching the draft over the weekend, uh, as well as uh, Last Dance continuing on, just kind of look in the rear view of uh, back to when I was growing up and watching um, 90s basketball, which is just my favorite. Um, so how are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, the NFL draft certainly – Certainly helped cure some some sports, you know, you know, missing it and things like that. It, it was nice to have some current news, some things to talk about. I know uh, for us, the Green Bay Packers, I don't think made either of us too happy. And I would guess, judging by you know what I've seen on Twitter, not many people are happy. But so that was a little disappointing. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was still still some sports to talk about. I think the the new homes for these Wisconsin Badgers are are good fits in a lot of ways. So. I'm I'm excited for those guys, and I think it was a lot of fun just to have sports for a weekend, and hopefully this will tie us over until the next event because that was one thing, uh, you know, at the end of the NFL draft, at the seventh round, I was kind of sitting there going, oh crap, well, what's next? So that's that's the only thing that's kind of bringing me down. But other than that, I'm I'm pretty excited to to talk about these Badgers. Yeah, because I mean, it was it's definitely a crucial moment and. Each of those guys' lives, you know, um, each of the guys who were drafted, and of course Chris Orr, who was also picked up already as an um, unrestricted free agent, um, or after the draft. So best of luck to all of them, and kind of we can rehash each of those. Yeah, let's hop right into that, and we'll start with uh, the player who's picked first, Jonathan Taylor. Um, picked a little later than I think both you and I may be expected. Um, but at the end of the day, he ends up with the Indianapolis Colts at 41, so around the range um, where it was directed. I think personally, uh, in terms of fit with, with all these guys, I think Jonathan Taylor in Indianapolis fits really well. You look at that Colts offensive line that they've got. 
Um, they've got Quinn Nelson, guys like that. that are, they're going to look to run power football, and I think Jonathan Taylor is going to be a great you know, complimentary back to that, and, and Phillip Rivers will hopefully help take some pressure off that. Uh, Phillip Rivers can't seem to shake Wisconsin running back. He's played uh, a good chunk of his career with Melvin Gordon, and now he gets uh, Jonathan Taylor. So what do you make of that fit uh, with JT and the Colts? Yeah, I mean, for, for JT, I love it. I think it's a phenomenal spot for him to land. Um, you're looking at a team who's going to try to run the football. Uh, pro Football Focus had the Colts as the third-best offensive line in 2019 and right around that same spot in 2018. And they just really have some phenomenal playmakers. You talked about Quentin Nelson on the line. But then now you bring in that they have an established quarterback in Phillip Rivers, and it's and they aren't going to be able to key on the run like they were. You've got Marlon Mack, so a, a guy who can you know run the ball, but he's not going to be your bell cow. They're not going to lean on him fully. I easily see JT getting a lot of carries early on in his career and and making the most of it. I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of breaks out right away because of what he can do. But you know, I, I think he was hoping for first round. I, I think both of us. Thought he'd be maybe uh, early second round, which is pretty much what happened. Um, so I think hats off to him for uh, his college career, but I, I think he's going to hit the ground running right away in Indianapolis based off of what they have going on. I think he could really help himself if he's able to prove in camp that he can pass block um, because Philip Rivers is going to uh, loves to check it down to the running backs. We saw what he did with. Um, Melvin Gordon doing that and, and how that's just an extra um, little bit that can go into it. Rivers doesn't have the huge arm to look downfield, but he's really good in the intermediate and short range. So a guy like Jonathan Taylor giving his uh, impressive ability to improve uh, from over the years and in passing uh, or pass catching, I think he's definitely in a good spot to continue on that trajectory and hopefully make the best of it in Indy. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that'll be one area that he's going to be looking to definitely work on so he can be one of those three-down backs that you see uh, that are so rare and coveted in the NFL. Uh, and I know Wisconsin, he's he's worked really hard at that, and he's gotten a lot better. You saw it this past season. He was tremendously better than the year before. So I'm, I'm excited for JT. I think his career is, is in a good spot. I know Indianapolis is, is nice and close to Madison. I watched his Twitter or Facebook Live, and he, he kind of mentioned that he was glad that it was in an area that, that he was somewhat familiar with. Of course, he's played in Indianapolis a couple times, not to rehash those memories too much because they all end badly, but I think it's a good spot for JT. I think the, the offensive line in front of him is, is great, and I think the Colts knew that that, they, that was the guy they wanted. They, they made a way to get him, and it, it's an exciting a future for him. Uh, let's hop into Zach Bond next. He was the next Badger off the board, uh, the New Orleans Saints. Uh, another Another player that it seems like a really good fit. I know New Orleans didn't have a lot of gaps in their roster, and, and they were looking to just fill talent. And personally, I think that for where they got Zach Vaughn, I think they got a lot of value out of that pick. So what did you make of Vaughn and his new uh, new home down in New Orleans? Uh, you know, I think, like you said, he, he's going to be a guy who's going to fit in right away. Sean Payton talked glowingly about him when he was interviewed um, after the pick, you know, saying that he thought that Bond's versatility and how they could use him was really what led for them to trade up and get him. Um, after he slid a little bit, you know, we saw a lot of people had him in that uh, late first, early second round, and he, he kind of dropped back a bit. Uh, but I think a lot of that had probably had to do with the diluted sample or, or whatnot. But 
He's a guy that Sean Payton talked about using as uh, a guy who can, can come in and blitz. Uh, like we saw at Wisconsin, given all the sacks that he accumulated his senior year. But he's also a guy who can do well in pass coverage. He's a guy that can play inside and outside. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him play an awful lot, um, especially situationally early in his career um, before maybe starting, um, you know, after the first year or two becoming a full-time starter. So I think he's in a really good spot. You you don't trade up to go and get a guy if you aren't really excited about him. And it was definitely a good a good fit for him, and I think he will make the most of his opportunity. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think he's going to be really well-suited to, to play there play in a position that he's comfortable with coming off the edge. I think the, the Saints are going to have a, a good way to use him. You could you could see the excitement, like you mentioned. If you're trading up for a guy, you really like him. You're not just waiting and, and taking the player available there. They they went after him, and I think as a guy who was coveted as you know a top 40 prospect, could have easily been a first-round pick. I know yeah the Bengals were looking at him as their early second-round pick, their first pick in the second round, so... I'm I'm ecstatic to where he's going. I think it'll be really nice that he's going to go to a team that can contend right away. They can develop packages for him, and I think he's going to show you know just how good Wisconsin football is at developing linebackers because we've seen these classes over the past few years getting a lot of good guys uh, drafted and playing right away. You know Ryan Connolly, and then you're going to have some other guys, and now you're going to have Bond. So. I'm excited to see where he go, where he goes with the Saints. I think uh, it's a good fit for him, and I'm I'm really ecstatic to see what he'll do uh, down in New Orleans. Uh, let's hop over to Tyler Biotis, a guy that I think went a little later, uh, and I think as as Wisconsin insiders and, and knowledgeable guys, we thought that he would kind of go earlier, but he ended up maybe falling back a little bit. But at the same time, he he steps right into a role uh, that I think he'll he'll thrive in. Uh, with the Dallas Cowboys, you, you talk about Travis Frederick retiring, former Wisconsin center. Tyler Biotis steps right in there. I think there's a full familiarity between Wisconsin football and, and Dallas at that position, so they knew what they were getting, and, and they went and got their guy. So what do you make of that draft pick for uh, Biotis and the Cowboys? Yeah, I, I thought the Cowboys actually had a really nice draft um, in a lot of ways. You know, as a Packer fan, that's not exactly what I want to hear, but you look at how he will fit in with what they want to do with Zach Martin and Lel Collins and Connor Williams and Tyron Smith and whatnot. I think he can be a guy who could potentially play right away. Um, he's he's going to be going up against Joe Looney, who's another uh, center that they have who kind of filled in a little bit for Frederick. But I, I think he's a guy that they don't go out and pick a center fairly early in the draft if you're not thinking, hey, we need help here. It's pretty thin. If You're going to have to go up against somebody for any job in the NFL uh, unless you're like Joe Burrow walking into just a ghost town, basically, um, you know, of talent at, in Cincinnati. So even he's got to go, go up against uh, Dalton. So it's, it's one of those things where there's so much competition in the NFL. I, I like Biotis to eventually be – uh, a long-time player to to stick around. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a you know an eight-year vet, and it's just you look back and you're like, whoa, it's already been eight years, uh, and he's been starting. So I think he's he's in a good place. Uh, if he's called upon to start right away, I think he'd be can do great. But if he needs to take another year, um, you know, maybe get his body right, feel better. Um, you know, he took a lot of beating at Wisconsin, which is probably why we saw a dip in his production. But I think he's in a spot to, to thrive, and I think he will. 
Yeah, I think so too. And I, I, I like that you mentioned that he's going to be in competition and maybe could benefit from a year of learning the offense and, and being in a backup role and things like that because I know – I know the one knock on, on Biotish was sometimes the pass protection, and he, he probably needs to get um, a, a little stronger. But they definitely see him as a future starter. You wouldn't draft him that early if you didn't think he was going to be a guy that you could you know work on and, and get him in the thick of things. And when you look at the, the Cowboys and, and the draft they had and, and Biotish being a part of it, they were talked about by a lot of people having having one of the better classes in terms of the draft. And you look at the teams within that division, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles didn't have a great draft uh, by any means. So I think for, for, for the Cowboys, they got a lot of talented players, and Tyler Biotis is a part of that. So I'm excited to see, even if he doesn't hit the field right away, I think he'll be a, you know, a, a starter for years to come. And I think the Dallas Cowboys are really excited in getting a guy that uh, is – is in a system that they kind of run or want to run in terms of their college and pro sets. So I think the fit is going to be really well, and he steps in and replaces a former great Badger that they had a lot of success with. So I think uh, Biotish is, is in a really good spot compared to where some of the projections showed him to be going to, you know, like a, a Miami looking for a project to go to Dallas that already kind of has some things established. I think it's going to be really exciting for him. Let's hop over to Quintez Cephas now. The the one guy that I saw that uh, when he went to Detroit, I was kind of like, oh, crap, because as a Packer fan, you look at that and you think, oh, my gosh, we're going to have to deal with him because I think both you and I think Cephas is a lot better than maybe where he was drafted again. But what did you make of that pick uh, for the Detroit Lions? Yeah, I think it's a really good landing spot for him. He's he's going to be a guy who's, who's kind of thrust into an opportunity to play right away. Um, or, uh, not Minnesota. Um, Detroit has some good wide receivers uh, in front of him, but at the same time, they don't have just like a guy that you really just evokes craziness in you. You have to get, they got Galladay, they got Mervyn Jones, and they got Danny Amendola. But behind them, you got Cephas is going to be battling up against Geronimo Allison, a guy who is very similar in terms of skill set, but I actually think Cephas is a little bit better than. Um, so I think he's in a spot where they're going to throw the ball. They throw the ball a lot in Detroit with Stafford. Uh, they got Swift, so they're going to maybe run a little bit more. But for the most part, they want to throw the ball, and Cephas is going to be in a position where he's going to have opportunities as the fourth, maybe fifth wide receiver right away. And you got to, you know there's only a shelf life on wide receivers for so long uh, in the NFL, so it's only a matter of time before he gets a, a greater shot there. And, and I think he will definitely stick in the NFL based off of his skill set and what he brings to the table. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I know there was knocks, of course, on his speed and, and things like that, but I think Detroit is a, is a, a system and a, a team that, with Matthew Stafford throwing the football, he's he's an accurate quarterback. He's got weapons, and we've seen it for years you know, over the past decade plus of him finding different receivers and and working with some years, uh, you know, a little bit less and, and making guys look a little bit better. I think Matthew Stafford is is kind of an underrated quarterback when he's healthy. So Quintus Steve is going to step into a system that feels comfortable with their quarterback and and can throw. And now it's just a matter of of him. Getting his way onto the field, I, I do think there's some guys in front of him that are going to try and prevent that. But Quintus Stephens will be a guy that can certainly benefit from from working in and learning the system, and then and then jumping into you know uh, like you said a third, fourth receiver role. Uh, it's good to have depth at those positions. I know that the Lions are probably looking for a couple other speedsters, but Stephens brings a little bit more speed than I think people are giving him credit for. So I think it's going to be a good fit, and I, I hope that. 
he can find a way to, to work himself onto the field and prove some of these people that have graded him a little poorly and to pick poorly wrong because I think he's a tremendous player and deserves a little bit more credit and respect than, than maybe what he's getting uh, as he steps into his future role at the NFL. All right, our final pick, well, I shouldn't say pick, our final pick up was Chris Orr, uh, undrafted free agent with the Carolina Panthers. I don't think people realize what they're getting in Chris Orr, a tremendous player. We kind of expect them, and of, of course, in our conversation with Owen, we talked about him likely going undrafted, uh, but he did make a team. He did get signed by a team in the Carolina Panthers. So what do you make of that signing? Because, again, it seems like a pretty good fit for a, a Badger player that had a lot of success at the college level. Yeah, I, I think it's a good fit for him. I think he'll be fighting right away. They uh, they go ahead and they do run a 3-4, uh, so I think that's important that he can kind of slide in and be an inside linebacker with them. They went heavy, heavy defense, uh, crazy amounts. I think basically all of their picks for the Panthers were defense, um, which which makes a lot of sense given the fact that they really have a lot of holes on that side of the ball. They really um, struggled last year with that. So I know that um, Cam Newton gets a lot of blame for kind of how that team struggled last year, but a lot of it was because of what was happening on the defensive end. And But at the same time, they didn't draft an inside linebacker at all. So – it gives him a shot to go ahead there and, and play. You know, they've got a couple guys. They got Shaq Thompson. They got to hear Whitehead. So they have players in front of them. But I do think if there's one player that you don't want to bet against, it's it's Chris Orr. He always plays with that chip on his shoulder and will will be a guy who can carve out a niche on any team. If if you go ahead and make the plays on special teams like we've seen Chris Orr doing in the past at Wisconsin, he always seemed to be playing special teams. I, th- I think he's going to be a guy who's going to stick around, whether it's on the Panthers or whether it's, uh, you know, he gets on a practice squad uh, and then makes another team. But he's going to be in the NFL for, for, for years to come in my eyes, I would assume. Yeah, I agree with you. It's hard, like you said, to bet against a guy like Chris Orr. You know that he's got he's a guy that's it's just simply looking for his shot, and if he gets it, he's probably going to take advantage of it. And I think Carolina is a good system where they're looking at, you know, they're they're essentially starting over in a lot of ways. You lose Cam Newton, you lose Luke Keekley, you're, you're building, you've got a new coach, uh, you're you're looking to build things up and acquire talent. Uh, and I think that that's going to help Chris Orr as he's not going to be on a team that is probably competing heavily right away. You look at the NFC South with, with the teams that they've got right now, they're, they're definitely looking like the lower tier of that division. So they're just looking to acquire talent. I think that puts Chris Orr in a good spot where he can come in with that chip on his shoulder and pro- try and you know prove himself. And like you said, maybe he ro- steps into a special teams role, something that he's familiar with and done, and, and works his way up into a linebacker role. Maybe as the season kind of goes on for Carolina, they start to work in more of their younger guys that they think uh, have a chance to develop and be on the roster in the future. So I think this is a good spot for Chris Orr. If it doesn't work out in Carolina, hopefully he can you know, lay the foundation for his pro career and, and get an opportunity elsewhere. But for right now, I think he's got to be excited, and I think all he wanted was a shot, and I'm excited to see what he does with it. All right, before we get into our interview with Alondo Tucker, uh, I did want to talk briefly uh, about the Green Bay Packers because I know both of you and I were a little frustrated about it, so we'll talk about that, and then we'll get into our interview with Alondo. So what did you make of the weekend as a Packer fan? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a head-scratcher to begin with. Um, you know, I actually 
didn't mind the later picks that the Packers were going. You know, it, it definitely laid out a blueprint of where LaFleur and the rest of the Packers front office is hoping to take um, the offense in a lot of ways. I think the defense under Petten is going to probably be very similar to what we have been seeing. Um, but just going ahead, A.J. Dillon, I think that's fine. I think he's a good running back. I don't mind that pick. I love that they stocked up on some um, offensive linemen later on in, in the draft. I thought that was – definitely something that was important but I I think just the love pick still kind of tarnishes it a lot in in my eyes Um, you know I if you read the round table you kind of know where my head is at with that Um, you know the NFL right now with quarterbacks it's so contract dependent um, when you have windows to win and you know most Super Bowl teams are not winning with either a star veteran or you've got a young guy who's on like a stud who's on their rookie deal and you know based off of kind of how this lays out, you've got probably four more years of Rodgers if you want it. And, uh, and then and basically you have to use him for the, at least the first two. Otherwise you're taking a huge, huge um, cap hit. So, um, and really three years if you're, unless you're wanting to eat $17 million. So I, I think if you're going to have a guy like Love sit on the bench for three years behind Rodgers, it works, sounds great because it gives him some ability to, go ahead and get some seasoning under one of the all-time greats, but it also means that there's only so much time left on Love's contract, so uh, like his rookie contract when you can go and win. So I just struggle with that, especially when he's such a huge project. You know, Rodgers was legit, uh, you know, potentially the number one pick, and he fell to the Packers when that happened. This is, hey, the Packers went up and got a guy who probably – would have been around at 30 possibly unless the Colts or somebody else got up there. So I think giving up the fourth pick really stings because that could have been a wide receiver, another linebacker, for example, another need on, you know, bolster the defensive line even further. So I think love needs to hit to make this work um, because it's one of those things where in the short term right now, it definitely hurts them. And I think it also hurts them at the beginning of love start, um, because they're not going to have as many weapons around him. Um, you know, I think if you bought back each of these picks, like it looks a lot better. But the fact that they traded up makes it makes it hard for me to stomach uh, when you have, you know, probably at least four more years of Rodgers based off of what he's been saying. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I love that you said, you know, this will all kind of take care of itself if if Jordan Love does hit, of course. That's that's going to be years away for us to be able to tell that, but at the same time, if if Jordan Love you know comes out and is is what you know Matt Lafleur sees in him, if he could develop into that, then yeah, we we won't look back at this draft and and you know be hostile about it. But if it doesn't work out, there's there's definitely some situations where you're going to look back at this draft class and and kind of scratch your head. But that's the risk that that clearly the front office was looking to take. They feel pretty confident about. It, so it'll be interesting to see. Um, how that goes and how that works out. Uh, the other picks to me, I like, you know, I like, like you said, uh, the the offensive line later on. I know Owen talked about that was that the Packers were going to be looking to build up talent, you know, get some depth on the offensive line. We saw that later on, so I like those picks. Uh, originally, the AJ Dillon pick was kind of head scratcher for me, but I, I think he's a big enough guy, you know, a bruiser, a power runner that. He could really develop nicely and maybe get worked into the fold with with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams this year, and then you're probably going to lose one of those guys to free agency the following season. So AJ Dillon will fill that role nicely. So 
The only one I think that that was really risky and head scratching was the love pick, and, and then uh, you know maybe the H back, uh, the tight end from Cincinnati. I know that's more of a system pick for Matt Lafleur, but that one will be another one that we'll see. But I know a lot of Packer fans were frustrated, and but uh, at the end of the day, I, th- I think you have to have confidence in in the GM and and the head coach, and we'll kind of just see where it goes from there. So, anything else you want to touch on NFL draft wise? Uh, yeah, I mean one thing that kind of in doing some digging and, and reading about the draft, it's, you know, I know a lot of people say that, um, you know, recruiting doesn't matter uh, nearly as much when you're in a developmental program like Wisconsin, but you, you look at Wisconsin and um, oftentimes they're kind of an anomaly in terms of getting guys into the NFL. Um, in the in in the first round, there's two-thirds of the players were either four or five stars. Um, and the rest were all three stars, ex- and except for Brandon Ayuk. And then uh, in the in in general in the draft, according to Trey Scott, he said that uh, who writes for two four seven, he said that um, you are t- according to the statistics this year, you are ten times more likely to get picked if you were a five star. Um, note that there's only thirty two five stars in each class, so I think it was nineteen five stars were drafted. That's pretty high hit rate. And then there was um, uh, four stars were four times more likely to get picked. Um, you know, three stars, get, there's a lot of them, so that makes it so that a lot of three stars make it. But um, it's, it's definitely one of those things where recruiting services are more right than they're wrong oftentimes. Um, sometimes the fit goes really bad or players just choose the wrong schools or have off-the-field stuff that tanks it. But overall, you know, Wisconsin's uptake in recruiting – is definitely something that should impact them, you know, in four years or so from now, you're probably going to see bigger uh, recruiting classes than four that enter into the NFL draft. So I think Wisconsin's in a really good place according to the way they're recruiting. Um, But it's also telling that, hey, this year they had, they had, uh, you know, four guys who were three stars end up make it into the NFL and Jonathan Taylor was a four star and he made it into the NFL, you know? So it's one of those things where recruiting does matter and the uptick in Wisconsin recruiting is only for the better. Most definitely. All you can hope is that they continue to improve in that regard. And I think you'll, you'll continue to see that both at, at this level, at the collegiate level. And then of course, at the next level, when you get to more guys like this strong class going uh, to the NFL, it's always exciting uh, to see how those two correlate and how they uh, get on. But that wraps up, guys, our NFL draft talk. Like we mentioned at the beginning of the show, we now have a very special interview with Alondo Tucker. I will say uh, Alondo was, was very happy to come on. Uh, he told some great stories about Bo Ryan, about his playing career, and then, of course, uh, he taught, touched on the uh, the Howard Moore and how he came into his coaching role and the uh, 2019-2020 Big Ten championship, championship team talked about them. So, a lot of fun in this interview, so we hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you for listening. We'll go ahead and kick it over to a couple quick ad reads, and then we'll get into our interview with Alondo. All right, Badger fans, we now welcome on a very special guest, Wisconsin basketball legend in Alondo Tucker. If you don't know the name, you probably haven't watched a lot of Wisconsin basketball in the past or the present, as he's now on the sidelines with Greg Gard as part of his staff in the uh, – 2020 Big Ten champion. He was an integral part of that. So, Alondo, firstly, we appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. Well, let's hop right into it. The reason we reached out to uh, have you on, of course, is that you were our crown champion in our fan favorite 
uh, bracket that we put together. So we first wanted to ask you about that because there is some tough competition in that bracket when you think of all the Wisconsin legends, but you came out on top. So how do you feel about getting such high praises from Badger fans? Hey, man, I'm I'm living on a high right now. We're First, we're virtual champs. The Badgers are virtual champs. <laughs> I'm living. I'm riding on the high. No, that's a. But all in all seriousness, it's a, it's a great honor just to even be acknowledging that. You're so. I'm so far removed. It's hard to. It, you know, it's hard. It's hard for a lot of this younger generation to kind of understand um, what type of player I was on the court. But it's, it's it's fun. It's all in fun. Fun sense. It's, it's really good though. Yeah, kind of jumping into that about back to your playing days. You know, I remember fondly uh, when I was growing up watching you play. Um, you had a lot of big games and a lot of big memories uh, that kind of jump out. You know, senior day against Michigan State, uh, your alley oop against Pitt, and dropping 28 against Marquette. But what memory really sticks out to you about your playing days? So I mean, it's so many. Like it's hard to pinpoint or uh, just narrow down to one. But I think specifically for me, I always talk about. Um, my freshman year, because as a freshman, you're wide-eyed. You're coming to campus. You're you're trying to make a name for yourself. And I, I always had that approach that, hey, I wanted to be one of the best. I wanted to be the best as a freshman, so I worked hard for it. So, But when you saw your hard work start paying off, so like my very first start, four games into the season, I was coming off the bench as a, the sixth man off the bench. But um, it was a game that we had against Wake Forest. Josh Howard, Chris Paul, those guys, that people were – can remember those names. Oh yeah, um, we played against them, and I came off the bench, and I was, you know, I had no fear. We lost the game, but I came out. I think I had twelve or thirteen points, six rebounds, or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but it was just at that point. Um, from there, we came in at the end of the game. Coach Ryan is just ranting. He's going through a rant of, I just gotta play this guy. Now, mind it, no one knows what he's talking about. He just comes out. I just gotta. You know he's kicking your butts in practice, and you know he's just outworking everybody. And I gotta, I gotta put him. I gotta put. Him, I gotta find a way to put him. I've never changed my starting lineup out of umpteen years of been coaching, and so I, he just goes on his rant. And he said, "Lando, I'm just gonna play you." And it's just like the spotlight shined on me. So I'm just gonna put you in the starting lineup. I'm like, holy crap! Now as a freshman, you're like, man, we had some pretty good players: Kirk Penny, uh, Freddie Owens, Devin Harris, Mike, uh, Mike Wilkinson. We had some good guys: uh, Dave Mater. Um, so it's just a bunch of good guys at the time, and when he said that, I'm like, wow, okay, now the spotlight's on me. Next game, we play UNLV. This is where it really sticks in my mind. Next game, I'm, I'm in the starting lineup, so I'm like, hey, I gotta, I gotta show him, I gotta, I gotta prove that you know he made the right decision. So that after that game, I ended up with 24 points, 18 rebounds, and I think that's when everybody realized Orlando Tucker was here at Wisconsin. <laughs> That's an awesome story, especially from so early on in your career. You know, transition to later in your career, I'm thinking of your senior season, the group that you guys had, and that season that you guys really seemed to to take Wisconsin basketball to a level. You know, you hadn't seen before at that time. Thirty wins for Wisconsin basketball was a crazy thing uh, to be a part of. So, what was it like to be on a group like that uh, with with all those special players that season? Oh man, it was amazing because we, you know, we. We uh we sought out to do something that you know had been done, and we we took it a game at a time. But it's just going to going to war felt like every day with your brother, you know, brotherhood that you had built with these guys and the camaraderie. And um, I think we just we kind of always had that underdog mentality. Nobody ever expected us to be really great, especially from the start. Coach Ryan's couple years, they, we won Big Ten first year. We had a share of the Big Ten before I got there. And we won it outright my freshman year, but it still felt like we didn't get the respect that was um, 
we felt like it was warranted. So we always had that chip on the shoulder, that blue collar. We got to go out here and grind and make the world respect us. So, I mean, it was from that mentality we took every day. And then, you know, we put it together and we just felt like I always had a mentality of I wanted to rub off on my teammates and make sure that, like, if I wanted to be a leader on the team, they had to, it had to be through my play, my action. So every day I came to practice, whether I was in school or whether I was in class, I mean, I was trying to be the best. So I think that forced all of us to try to be the best. And I mean, it started displaying our, in our efforts. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, one thing, you know, it kind of came down between you and Devin Harris in the final there. Um, you know, obviously two greats, two greats that I would expect that eventually have their names up in the rafters um, of the Cole Center. But if you had to go one-on-one with him right now, who do you think's taking home that, that W? Oh, no doubt me. <laughs> Dev knows we can get him on the line. We, I'm sure he's going to say himself, no athlete's going to ever say another person can beat him. But listen, I don't know if Devin's been training like I was training. I had a whole year I've been here practicing with these guys. Uh, I got back in pro shape, so I was I was in rare form. So I'm going with myself all day. We can, we can both. <laughs> Dev's my guy, by the way, so he knows I'm always going to talk a little crap. Oh yeah, of course. That's that's very natural and expected. Especially you know, athletes are always going to pick themselves, and that's that confidence that definitely led to you being so successful on the court. Uh, let's transition to your uh, your new role a little bit. Of course, you came on board in in a very tragic circumstance with Howard Moore. Uh, but what was it like stepping into that role that you you maybe necessarily weren't planning on taking with all that happened? Yeah, it was it was surreal. This has been a, a surreal year. A lot of a lot of guys, a lot of people probably felt it was insurmountable. Like we weren't be, be we would not be able to accomplish some of the things we did right coming in. Our backs were against the wall. I think we were, you know, we were ranked to finish, finish sixth in the in the Big Ten. But then even coming in from a standpoint of like how I got here, I came to the university. I retired to come back. For people that didn't know, I retired to come back to the university to be a part of this. Um, I had like four or five more years I felt like I could have played, but I wanted to come and be a part of being being influential and, and being an inspiration and kind of building uh, the, the blocks within administration with somebody like myself and my network that I had amassed over the, the course of 10 years playing professionally. So I wanted to come back and kind of help these this next generation walk through this blueprint. I never had in my mind that I was going to be a coach at this point. Now, keep in mind, I was coaching the whole time that I was, I was in a part of this. I had started my own company where I was training kids, whether they're – five years old to professional athletes, European pros. I had some NBA guys that I would take through um, the ranks of my training course. Um, so I was doing this all the time, but I came back to university uh, and was still doing that you know, part-time, but I had realized that, you know, I was going to take this role in administration and kind of link back to our alum, connect, and create this blueprint for um, guys to follow. Then, you know, it happened with Howard, you know, and then I found myself in the middle of this, um, just this unthinkable situation and un, unparalleled situation that no one had ever faced before, right here. So to be go through all of that, right, and then accomplish and then come out champs at the end of the year, man. It's like I don't know um, the the feeling that I had after we won the championship was just like talking to Howard's mom was the first person I called her, her his mom and his dad, and um, watching these guys really battle and, and be tested not only on the basketball court, but through life, man. It's just, again, it's been surreal. And I wouldn't have wanted it any other way, though. To come into coaching, I wouldn't have wanted it any other way because I've been pushed. I've been tested at the, I feel like, the highest level. No no program has been tested the way the Badgers have this year. So for us to come out and, and do the things we've done, man, I'm, I just, I'm, I'm, it's a pleasure to have done this and, and, and to represent 
a brother of mine, Howard Moore. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely been a kind of a surreal um, season for for everybody, but more so everybody in that locker room. Uh, what's been the biggest difference between you? You know, obviously you're a tremendous player. You you as you said, you could be still playing um, professionally. What's been different now, kind of taking a, a different path, you know, between being a player and now being a coach? The main difference, uh, to be honest, is like not control, like having to control my passion, right? I have to temper my passion to not want to get out there on court. Um, and I'm super competitive, so it's just toning it down when I'm in practice, not taking it too hard at the guys, but finding a fine level of how to push them hard. Um, uh, but not pushing them too much, right? So when I'm actually on the practice court. But for me, I'm always wanting to get out there. And then I can't, so I don't have any rip-off pants where I, I can just go out there and, and take off my warm-up. So it's how can I channel that passion and figure out how I can still be effective and feel like I have an input or influence on the game. Um, so, uh, and that's, that happened through my, just I guess, my relationship with all the guys. I mean, and, and what I've accomplished, everything I've said really resonated from day one. And then the coaches just taking me in and just, making it, you know, showing me the ropes from the back end of how to, like, put things together from scout reports to how to, um, you know, just do a lot of administrative things. So from that end, but the basketball, the X's and O's were um, – that thing, that, that comes kind of easy to me, like being able to build relationships. Um, so uh, just it's – when I look at it, when I look at the whole scope of, of, of where we are and, and, and how I handle this year, I, I feel like I've grown. I've grown so much learning. I spent so much time learning how to do it on the other side of the of the line. So I mean, I again, I'm 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 appreciative of all the guys that I have around me. Um, it's a collective effort from everyone to be able to accomplish what we accomplished. You know, given the fact that you were kind of thrust into this role, uh, you know, last minute, do you feel like you kind of changed as a coach as the season went on and you kind of got more used to it? Um. Yeah, I mean, for me, so I've been I've been tested. So when you're playing, like when I'm a, I play specifically, I got tested a lot playing abroad, playing playing spending seven years playing in Europe, uh, playing in the NBA with some of the you know all time greats: Shaquille O'Neal, Grant Hill, Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire, Leandro Barbosa, Boris Diaw. I can go down the list: Jason Richardson, um, Sean Marion. I played with some greats, and then I had to go from that platform to playing overseas where I was. You know, forced to be, you know, you, everything. You have to be Captain America when you go to Europe. They expect, you know, when you're an American player, they especially of my caliber, they expect everything. You can't be sick. You can't. So I was tested. I had so many different games where, you know, I had to, you know, go through so much. And I think that perspective, taking that perspective and having went through that experience prepared me for this situation. So um, getting, I think for me, the most part was, how do I translate – the hardest part was how do I translate what I've already been through to these guys where they can understand what they're going through isn't, you know, isn't too much for them to overcome, right? So I think as I was going through this process, to be honest with you, it's, and it's, it's the confidence that I have in myself that, hey, we're going to get through it. We're going to get through all of this, and we're just going to have to find a way. So I tried to exude that confidence from myself to, our, you know, whether it's the coaches to the team. I tried to, you know, keep that confidence that I had as a player and take it, you know, on the, on the sideline as a coach. Yeah, kind of talking about the, how everybody was tested and how you've kind of overcome some of this. Um, and the 2020 squad was just went through so much, but still took home that Big Ten title. How resilient is this group, and, and what does that speak to the character of, of everybody in that program? 
I mean, it goes top down, right? It's, it's top down. You know, we have to um, just thinking about like everyone from our video department, from our grad assistants, from all of our managers. Like everybody was being tested. Like they would go out, we would go out, and they're getting tested. You know, they're hearing what people are talking about. We had to stay together, tight knit. Um, everything that went on within the program that hit the headlines on, in the media outlets, like right, we, that, that could break people. So she's talking about resilience, man. Like to be able to block all of that out and have a tunnel vision to from one end, from point A to point B of where you want to go. I mean, people don't really realize that. Like you, this, this generation of kids, they have to deal with things that we didn't have to deal with. Like I didn't have to deal with Twitter or Instagram or you know any social media. Um, when you they have that, they constantly they're being picked apart every single game, right? And they have to still remain happy in a sense of posting things that are, are positive. They go through so much where they're criticized so often, and going through what we did, I couldn't imagine what they were like mentally going through. So it was just um, to see them actually step out on the court and accomplish it. Because right, I've I've been on there, I've won championships as a player, but for them to do it as players. That's something that makes you proud, and as a coach, to have influence on that. I mean, I, that's something I. It's just this will go down forever for me. Is one of the tops um, that you know that 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 sit in my book, the book that I'll eventually write one day. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to reading it. Um, so, Alana, how do you think you know this group brings back so much next year? So, what are some things that you guys are maybe looking at, and how do you think this group will grow as they head into next season where hopefully the focus can be for them, you know, just on the court playing basketball? Yeah, um, well, I think you always have challenges. I think this area they're going to always have challenges. We have seniors. Everybody's going to try to prove things. But I think we have a group that understands that we didn't really reach – we didn't reach our full potential until the end of the year, right? And and we started capping we, – we never capped off. And we wanted to see what was next, and we didn't – we weren't able to show showcase you know where we were and I think we were only getting better um so I think this group wants to come out and and not miss a beat and keep that um same energy and I think they're we can keep that passion right the difference is with winning a championship or sharing a part of the Big Ten you know there's going to be a lot of high expectations from the day like you're going to be ranked so you go the difference between this year and last year nobody expected us to do anything but now every time we step into a game we have a target on our back where we're the team that everybody wants to beat and they want to prove it against us so we have to really there will be no room for error there'll be slim margin of error or chance for error um in our approach every single day to practice and i think the difference of our preparation um and what we did will carry over the confidence is big basketball is 85 percent confidence and i think um the confidence that we had in the year, hopefully it can carry over for us. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you get to lace them up and, and practice against these guys as, as a scout team member. Uh, who do you think is kind of the toughest player on the team to, to match up with and guard, and who is the toughest one to score on? Myself. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> no, they're all, man. They're all, I won't lie. They're all, they're all challenging because, uh, again, I – I don't. I, I'm not in a mindset of every day really stepping out on, and and I have nothing to really gain by stepping out, right? So it's a difference when you're prepping as a player, as a coach, trying to, or then you know, in comparison to being a coach stepping out there. So, um, but I'm always. So you have that. You have that fine line of guys know my resume, and they know they hear me talking all the time. They always want to prove it to themselves that ah, he he don't have it. He's not. He's not as good as. 
you know, everybody says he, he was. And so, that, you know, that's – and for me, I'm an ultimate competitor. So sometimes I have to channel it down because when I get out there, I flip a switch. And I'm going that guy. So um, – but it pushes them. And it makes them want to come at me hard. Like, I have Brad Davidson all the time talking about – like, when I, if I didn't practice, he's like, oh, you scared today? You don't want to come out there? You don't. So, like, they're not backing down by any means, which is, is incredible. And what, I think that's the point of what I, why I do what I do and why I talk the way I talk is to see who's ready to step out there. If you're not going to, if you're going to, if you're going to shy away from it, you're not going to be able to step in Michigan State, you know, being the opponent on the road and be able to come out with the win when you have everybody down your throat. So, I try to push them and try to bring that same type of atmosphere to the practice court. Um, so, the, I mean, I'm my, I'm my toughest opponent. I'm always going to be my toughest opponent. <laughs> We're going to have to bring some badges on here because they're going to they're gonna step up. I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, you're going to have Brad, Meech, Aline, Austin, and they're the toughest. They're my toughest opponent. I, Micah, Micah, he, he keeps talking about because Micah played most of the scout team with me, so we we have separate we separate our teams and the scout team kind of pushes the, the starters. So Micah spent a lot of time on my team, so now he wants to battle against me. We'll see how that goes. Well, well, speaking of getting guys ready to to step on the court, you guys have a really talented group of incoming freshmen. You know, with with Kroll and, and the Davis brothers, Lauren Bowman, Ben Carlson, all those guys set to join you. Whenever things do open back up, do you think uh, any of those players are, are ready to you know, bring something to the team and where can they help out? And, and how have you kind of gotten to know that incoming class? Um, very well. The I mean, yeah, it's the talent level is, is, is it's amazing just to see um, the guys that we have coming in and be able to mix and match with the guys we already have. Um, I mean, we're excited. The whole coaching staff, we talk about our excitement to get these guys in and to learn from an older group. Coach Guard always talks about um, just having this group um, of seniors. And, it's you know, we have six guys that are going to be leaving, and they get to pass this torch to such a talented group. That's that's an exciting um, thing to see. Um, these chances don't happen often where you get so many guys leaving and then you get a big group coming in. So when it does happen, you just um, – Hope to set the right foundation um, as a coaching staff to be able to be that 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 the mentors or the guardians to be able to foster the the culture where you know it, it all can radiate it can radiate but like this culture of greatness can radiate between the two right and you want to set a, a great culture of competition though I want these guys coming in and feeling like they can challenge this group so. Will they be able to play? I think we do have some talented guys to come in and be able to play, but then you're going to have some seniors that, again, everybody in this sport, yeah, as friendly as it is, it's competition. So you want friendly competition because if, if a freshman comes in and he's threatening my spot, it's going to make me elevate my game to a level of play. So, yeah, we're a family, but at the same time we have to foster a level of healthy competition amongst teams, and then that pushes each individual to become better every single day. So I think this talent level is going to be fun. It's going to be a fun year. And I don't think – actually, with the guys we have coming in, I think it's going to be less pressure on myself to have to practice. I can sit back now and kind of uh, just direct the X's and O's, which will be fun to see. Yeah, it's, uh, it is an exciting group and an exciting uh, program that we're really looking forward to seeing what uh, you guys can do on the court next year. Uh, Alondo, thanks again so much for joining us. We'll let you go. Uh, and, again, congratulations on your uh, fan favorite award from uh, Bucky's fifth quarter. Oh, no, thank you guys. Seriously, thank everybody that voted uh, for that. It's, again, it's all in fun, great fun. So I appreciate it so much. Thanks for joining us. All right, thank you. All right, Badger fans, that wraps up our interview. We'll be back with you next week. 
on Wisconsin. Thank you.